So I'm in Ephesians, and you guys probably know by now, I don't know where to call it quits with the, with the scripture and how much do I want to read and share as I come. So that uh, also is probably going to be true today. So I'll just admit that on the front end. Um, and also with that, I know that the men's Bible study has passed through the book of Ephesians uh, recently. Um, and I say pass through, I'm coming from the perspective of our young men's Bible study, where laughingly, we are still in the book of Galatians for over a year now, um, as we had endeavored to get through it quickly, but we're still early in the book of, uh, in the chapter six of Galatians. So that's how long we've been in that one. But the men have, the older men have gotten through um, all of Ephesians. And I feel like a little bit hesitant to speak from this, given that they dug so deeply into it before already in a Bible study. It's kind of like when you show up to class late and you miss whatever happened before, but you got to share anyway. That's kind of how I feel. And I'm like, ah, hopefully I get things right. But if I get it a little wrong, I'm sure one of the men will correct me. Um, but Ephesians is just a wonderful book. It was one of the first books that I started to do any memorizing in as a young man when I decided that I needed to take some steps to memorize, not just do whatever my parents had said that I should memorize. And so myself and a friend, we would gather together on Sunday after um, the morning service and recite parts of Ephesians together. So it's a very familiar book to me, but I've been away from it for a while. And in the past several months, God has got me back into it. Um, and really the title for my message today, Endeavoring to Keep the Spirit's Unity. Endeavoring to Keep the Spirit's unity. And as I share about that, I want to start, first of all, um, with our expired unity with the world. And then move from that to the new unity we've been given in Christ. And then our task, our work, if you will, with that, with that unity. So I'll pick up, as I said, I, think, I want to think about our expired unity with the world. And I thought about that for a second as I was like, okay, how do I characterize that unity? Because we were, as the Bible tells us, right? And as we know in our own stories, um, we were at one point not a part of God's family, right? God had to call us in. He had to gather us. But before that time, we had a union with the world and with a rebellion against God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 really communicate this. Um, it says, you hath he quickened. Paul is writing to believers now, but he's going to remind them of where they've come from. He says, you hath he, God, quickened who were dead. This is that expired unity. And when I think about expired, dead, you don't get more expired than that. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein... In those things in time past, you walked, you had your way of life. We had our way of life in those things. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the pattern, according to the habits, according to the routines of this world. This was how we were. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. When I look at that, I, that stands out to me. We walked according to the world. That was our habit. That was our way. And he also kind of titles um, who we had been. He says, 
we've actually, before he gets to how he titles us and who we had, who we had been, but who we had followed, the spirit of disobedience. There is this spirit of disobedience that is in the world, right? And that we all shared in. And we know what that is like to kind of walk in that pattern and to need deliverance from that spirit of disobedience. He continues um, later in the same chapter, I believe, he says, wherefore, remember, he's again calling them to remember. That ye being in time past, actually, I think this is from chapter two, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, Paul, in writing to Ephesus, he's specifically writing to people who had been Gentiles. And so for them, in a very real way, that had been the title that they had received, uncircumcision, by those who were Jews, by those who were of the circumcision. So that's their specific kind of story for them as Gentiles and where they came from in um, being in the presence of some Jews. He says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Look at how he titles how we had been and the characterization of our condition when we were in that old unity. Not only does he say without Christ, but he titles who we had been aliens. Aliens, not little green men, aliens, but really and truly like outsiders from the kingdom of God, not belonging to God's kingdom, aliens. And get the idea and the picture of separation. Not only aliens, he says strangers, another picture of separation. Strangers, as kids often say, stranger danger. We were strangers. And indeed, a danger. And Paul knows something about being a danger to God's kingdom. Right? When he walked according to the pattern of the world, he specifically was endangering the people of God and God's work. And Jesus had to stop him. He calls us strangers from the covenants of promise. And he also characterizes us with this, having no hope. None. No hope. What a, what a situation to be in. No hope and without God. That's our expired unity. A unity that is defined by no hope, a unity that is defined by separation from, without God. That's our expired unity. And thank God that it's expired. But as I was thinking about that, um, I thought back to a, a meal that Abby and I shared last week after church. We went out to eat um, at a local place. And while we were there, there were several people who were there and they had a, a bar somewhat nearby and there were people who kind of were generally frequenting the bar. And as I was sitting there with Abby and we were talking and we were just kind of noticing conversation and some habitual customers who just went to the bar and they just kind of sat there. In fact, there was a guy who, when we walked in, he didn't know me. I didn't know him, but he acted like he knew me. And I said, I think he's been loosened up a little bit. But as we were sitting there, we were just noticing who was coming in. And um, I mean, it was clear, like we had just come from church. But I just asked Abby, I said, you know, what would our life look like without Christ? What would our life look like? And we're sitting there and as we're eating, we just began to kind of count up the different things that would be different in our life. Right. We know the things that we believe. We know the salvation that we've been called to. And that gift of salvation that we would not enjoy apart from Christ. 
So we thought about that. But there goes with that salvation, hope. There goes with that salvation, purpose. There goes with that salvation, a lot of things. And as Abby and I just began to list them off, we were reminded and thankful that that old unity we had with the world indeed is expired. And specifically it was expired when Christ died on the cross and we then put our faith in him. But it's good for us to remember as Paul reminds this church at Ephesus, you, you were at one time strangers. You were without hope. You were aliens. So I want to move from that then, thanking God, right? That he has expired that unity. Not only does he expire that unity and he makes it to cease now. We don't share in the way of the world. He gives us a new unity after his spirit. So I want to talk about that for a moment. And there's a lot of scriptures for that. And I want to really kind of dig into Ephesians 1 and 2. As God shows us and as Paul points out for us and really highlights or magnifies what God has done. In chapter, three as, or chapter 1, as Mr. Molitor already read, he says, Blessed be God, the, Father, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Look at all these blessings that come with this new unity in Christ. He says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in one person in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And look at that. He hath chosen us in him. Notice the unity in that statement that we are chosen and that we are chosen in him. That's what brings us together. And not only that, but that he had chosen us to be in him before the foundation of the world. That really just stands out to me that God, that was God's plan from the beginning. God's plan is that we would be gathered. In fact, he chose and think about that. Just the beauty of being chosen. Chosen. It's kind of like when they choose teams, right? And you, you're just waiting. I want to be chosen. God has chosen us. And indeed, from the beginning of the world, before we were ever born and thought of by anybody else, God said, I choose. I want them. Chosen in him, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And he continues to point out Christ, the spirit, this one in which we have been called to be united. He continues in Ephesians 1. He says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, God has made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together. He might gather together in one, all things. And notice the unity again. He points it out. In Christ. And he says all things, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And he's going to use a word that comes up a few times in the book of Ephesians, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. We have received something. There are goods that go along with this. We have received an inheritance. 
being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Wow. Indeed, he sealed us. This unity that we have now, he has sealed us in, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. God's will indeed is to gather all things in Christ. That's God's will. And he's exercised that toward us. If we move on into Ephesians 2, I just want to read a few verses and notice his repetition of the word together. I think oftentimes when I think about my salvation, I think about, wow, what a gift to me. But when he writes about this and he reminds us about it here in this passage, he also emphasizes together that this salvation has been given. Even when we were dead in sins, he said he has quickened us together with Christ. Christ is quickened and we are quickened with him. Christ is alive and we are alive with him. Together with Christ, by grace are ye, ye are saved and has raised us up together. Notice that unity. He could say has raised us up, right? And just leave it at that. But he points out he's raised us up together, not alone, together as the people of God. And he continues and made us sit where? Together. Together. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And he continues. But that repetition of together that we, our salvation, is truly something that we also need to be mindful that God has done this together and he's brought us together specifically with Christ. What a beautiful thing, this new unity that he has given us, that we are no more strangers, but that we are apart together. Continuing in, in, in Ephesians 2, notice some other things about how he has brought this togetherness and then also the new titles that come on the kingdom of God, come on us as the people of God as we come into this kingdom. Because we heard old words about us, right? Aliens, strangers, without hope. But look into this passage as we continue verses um, 13 down to 22. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh, near, close, gathered, by the blood of Christ. That's how. For he is our peace who hath made both. And when he says this, he's talking about Gentiles and Jews. Remember in the context of Ephesus, these people were Gentiles and they, they had been separated from the people of God, the Jews. And he says here, look, Christ has made both Jews and Gentiles one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And we could go into that in all of the ways in which that is pictured in the temple of God, in the actual tabernacle, right? But I don't have time to dig into all of that right now. And I believe our pastor and others have already done some of that work. But I want to just point out again that Christ is bringing us near and together. And those things that separate, he has removed. 
in himself. It says that he might reconcile both, verse 16, unto God. Both needed to be reconciled to God. Both needed a relationship fixed with God, the Jews and the Gentiles. All of us needed reconciliation to God and Christ did that in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them which are nigh. That through him, we might both have access to one spirit. Notice here's where he's gonna to start to give us some new names, some new titles, not aliens and not strangers anymore. Through him, we have both have access by one spirit unto the father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. But what? Fellow citizens, fellow citizens. That's a new title right there with the saints. So specifically, that's another new title right there, saints. And of the household of God, what a new title, of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He's giving us a picture now of the household of God and the people of God as a building. And at the very foundation, the weight of all of this house depends upon the chief cornerstone. And again, he identifies him, Jesus Christ. That's who we are built upon. And he says, in whom all the building fitly framed together, brick upon brick, right? Groweth unto an holy temple, new title, holy temple. That's our title. And that's a title we don't hold individually. That's a title we hold together. Holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also, and I want you to capture this and to think about this, in whom ye also are builded together. There's that word again. Build together, why? For an habitation of God through the spirit. Habitation. Habitation. You live in a habitation. You belong in a habitation. And where does God say his habitation is? Us. The people of God, the whole church of God, even far beyond straight gate church, right? And even far beyond the year 2021, but reaching across ages, his habitation, where he lives, where he lives is us. And that is not something we hold individually, but that is something indeed that we hold together. And not only that he lives, but he belongs. Where does God belong? His habitation. In us. And my stressing and what he seems to stress here also is that we hold this together. That God belongs in us together. This is the unity of the spirit that we have been given. And when I think about this, um, this may seem a little bit of an odd stretch, but I think about the story of Cinderella. Um, my wife has, uh, I think she loves that movie Ever After, which is a twist on the story of Cinderella. But in that movie, right, or in the story of Cinderella, However it's characterized, there is a separation between Cinderella 
and the palace, Cinderella and the castle. She doesn't belong there. Everything about her says, this is not where she belongs. She's not dressed for it. She hasn't been trained for that. She can't just march in there. And then along comes the fairy godmother and bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, she now belongs because now she has a carriage and she has a dress and she has everything that makes it look like now she can go in. And I think about that. And I think about the fact that we were separated from God. And nothing about us belonged in God's kingdom. Nothing about us belonged in God's castle. Nothing about us belonged there. And no, God does not come along and go, bippity-bobbity-boo. Because that's too easy and that's too simple and that's not what it took. What did it take to make us fit for the kingdom of God? Not a wave of the wand, but a stretching out of the arms of Christ. And now those of us who did not belong are brought near and we now come in to this kingdom and now we get into this castle. That's what God has done and he has brought us together and made us sit together in heavenly places. We have been made nigh indeed, now no longer strangers, now no longer aliens, indeed we are fellow citizens. And as we think about that, then I wanna come to what is our work? because I want to spotlight specifically that last passage that Mr. Molitor read for us. I, therefore, the prisoner of, Lord, of the Lord, beseech you. I'm asking you. I'm not only asking you, I'm urging you. I beseech you to do what? That you walk worthy. Knowing all that you've been given, knowing the beauty of that gift and that new unity that we have, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another. Look at that. This one another is coming up again. Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And when I read that, that has made me pause for the past several months as I ponder that. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It makes me think about that story that's often told about Ben Franklin after they framed the constitution and a lady comes up to him, right? As the story goes and she asks, what have you given us? What kingdom have you given us? In other words, what government have you given us? And he says to her, according to the story, a republic, if you can what? Keep it. And God has given us a kingdom. And thank God that it does not come with an if proposition, if you can keep it. But it does come with a charge. And that charge is to keep that unity. It comes with a charge, not a condition. God's kingdom, thankfully, does not depend on my action. It's on a sure foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ, and that work is done, and nobody tears that work apart. It's not... His kingdom, if I can keep it, Christ has kept it. But I do have a charge myself. We do 
have a charge ourselves, endeavoring to keep, endeavoring to keep. And specifically to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I want to get into that a little bit, but um, I tried to channel an inner nerd for a moment when I think about this word endeavor. And I looked up the USS Endeavor because I was like, God, man, I think about Endeavor, right? And what does this mean? And how do we see this pictured? And yeah, get ready, folks, because it brought to mind three, three ships called the Endeavor. So the first one that I want to point out is the USS Endeavor in the 24th century. Star Trek. The USS Endeavor was owned by the United Federation of Planets and operated by Starfleet and was active in the fictional sense, right? Okay, active in the 21st century. And I get my information, I have to give credit to my sources, according to memory-alpha.fandom.com, a wonderful site for Star Trek fandom, if you wanna go there. No, I'm not truly a Star Trek fan. But as it characterized on that website, in the year 2368, the Endeavor joined Captain Picard's fleet that blockaded the Klingon-Romulan border during the Klingon Civil War. And I think about Star Trek boldly going where no one has gone before. Endeavor. And they have this ship, the USS Endeavor. But that's a fictional. There are actually true endeavors that have been built. One, the NASA's Endeavor, which is actually not the USS Endeavor, it's just the Endeavor, which was a space um, shuttle. And it was actually built from spare parts after the Challenger accident. And it was put together to fly missions right into space. And it began in 1992 to fly these missions, and it flew 25 different missions, endeavoring. 25 different missions from 1992 to 2011, when it was supposed to be the last of the space shuttle program from NASA, which there was actually a ship, I think it's the Atlantis, that flew a mission after that in the end. But it flew, if, you, if you're curious, right? Um, flew for, in space, I should say, its time in space was 299 days. A lot of time in space in different missions. 299 days, I should say, and three hours and 34 minutes, and since it's NASA, two seconds. That's how long it's spent, spent in space. And I just looked at that and I said, couldn't they give it that last little, little day? 299? Come on. It needed to hit 300. But it's endeavoring. The endeavor. Going into space. And I think from these ships, we get the idea that endeavor, you're supposed to do something. When you endeavor, you're going at something. You're taking action. Endeavor. There is a task. There is something that you're daring to do, and it's kind of bold. The last USS Endeavor, right? I said three. So the USS Endeavor, which I think is the first actual USS Endeavor, um, which its ship name would be AFDL-1-1, I should say. Um, AFDL stands for Auxiliary Floating Dry Dock. Think about that. Um, it was commissioned in World War II. Um, it's a huge ship, as a matter of fact, so huge, its water displacement is 800 tons, and its length was 200 feet. And the part that made me laugh was how it moves. Its propulsion is by towing. In other words, it's pulled. 
that didn't quite get the idea of endeavoring to me. But uh, so it made me laugh. But as I think about that, he says here to us, endeavor. And endeavor gets this, action, this idea of action, of movement, of bold action, of responsibility. There's something that we are to do when he says to us, endeavor. Just as we get a picture of, wow, when we think of the endeavor out in space, just going out and exploring. There is this that for us is an action. Endeavor to keep. And so when I think about that, I ask, what, does, what, is that, what is that work that we are to do? What is our task? What does that look like? And I see several things in Ephesians that he points out that um, I want to bring to our attention also. Paul, one, gives us a picture of this in his own action. Endeavor to keep the unity of the, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Look at Ephesians chapter one, verse five, 15 through 19. Paul, when he's writing to them, he says, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Is it not endeavoring when Paul prays for the people of God? Is that not endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit? And specifically, listen to his prayer here. He has two big prayers in Ephesians, by the way. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. That is Paul's prayer. And I think in that prayer, there's an endeavoring. He's trying to keep the unity of the spirit as he's thinking about the church at Ephesus and he's away from them and he's distant from them physically, but he's thinking about them. And he says, when I, when I think about you, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying some things specifically for you, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He gives another prayer. Later on, Ephesians chapter three, verse 13 through 19, I'll read this. He says, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the father. I'm bowing my knees, I'm praying. And what, what am I praying for? Why am I praying? Unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I'm praying that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at that prayer and ask yourself, do you see an endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace as we simply pray one for another. So what does that endeavoring look like? I do believe it looks like praying for one another. And not just for our physical condition, but also for our spiritual state and to enjoy the riches of God in Christ.
it looks like more. He also says in the book of Ephesians, when he writes about the Gentiles and how they've been called in to be fellow heirs in Christ of the same body, he says of himself, whereof I was made a minister. His work, his task, Paul. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery and from the beginning of the world that hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He's in trouble. He's in tribulations. He is laboring. And why is he doing this? For them. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What does it look like to endeavor? It means, yes, giving ourselves for one another in that work that God has called us to. He goes on. It's not just about Paul, right? He goes, he's going to point it to them. Listen, in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, he says, he gave some apostles, God has given some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And you could continue down the list as Brother Malter even pointed out to us this morning. There are so many tasks that we are called to do that maybe some won't ever even know. But God has given them into the church. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. Actually, he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. And he says, not only that, he says, till we all come in the unity of faith, of the faith of the knowledge of the son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. And as I go into that, I think about what he's saying here when he says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The verse that comes directly after that. The verse that comes directly after that. There is one body, one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This has to do with a stance on doctrine as well. What do we believe? Where is our unity? Where does it come from? It comes from God, one God who gave it to us. One Christ whose unity is it? One spirit. One faith, one hope. And that's important for us to hold on to, to endeavor to keep that faith. Because there are some who would try to pepper in other spirits, pepper in 
other baptisms, pepper in other things, pepper in other saviors. And that's not where it belongs. We must endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. And when he says speaking, it has the idea there that someone is hearing. There's a together. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in him, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Wow. So it does have to do with ministering to one another. And then as I'm beginning to close up my third point, it also has to do with how we behave toward one another. So not just praying for each other, not just ministering to each other, but simply how we walk toward each other. I mean, the book of Ephesians, when we think about it, right, you get to chapter five and six, and he breaks it down very particularly for specific people. He says, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to his deceitful lust. And he lists some of these deceitful lusts, right? And then he says, put away lying, speak every man truth. That's how we behave toward one another. For we are members one of another. He keeps pointing out and he keeps connecting our actions with our togetherness. He says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him rather let him labor. Why? Working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. The focus on others. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying who? Those that hear that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. And how do I do that practically? It also means that my communication should not be corrupt when I communicate with you, with one, when we communicate with each other. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. What is our task day by day? No corrupt communication. Put away anger, put away malice. Stop speaking lies, speak truth. Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And this idea of endeavoring to keep makes me think about um, this idea of retaining. Retain, you hold on to something. I had braces once upon a time as a kid in my mouth, which was very crooked. Um, the braces came in to align them. And I had them on for about two years. And at the end of that time, they said, all right, we're taking the braces out. And now you don't see braces anymore. But they gave me something else. 
they left me with something to keep, to keep my teeth in order. A retainer. One was temporary and I had to put it in my um, upper part of my mouth every night. I soon forgot that. <laughs> it soon didn't fit. And then they gave me a permanent one on the bottom. So I didn't have to do the task of putting that one in and out. It was to be there. It actually came off about a year and a half ago or two years. Guess what has happened since? My teeth have moved. I went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago. Abby took me to the dentist and he said, yeah, your teeth are moving a little bit. We may need to put some braces back in or get a retainer to hold them where they're at. Something wasn't kept. An alignment in my own mouth wasn't kept. And the more that that alignment shifts as teeth shift in the direction that they want to go, my smile is changed. And I look then differently. Yes, my smile is changed. And so my teeth are shifting and I needed something to keep them. And I think that's the idea that he's mentioning here. You've been given a unity and you've been lined up in Christ and you've been brought together just as my teeth were brought together. But we have something to keep to align ourselves in Christ, even with one another, this unity of the spirit. And so as I close, I wanna actually give a moment of pause and of silence because I thank God that we're in a church where honestly, we express and we speak the truth one with one with another and the gospel and we remind each other of the gospel and I say, keep doing that. Thank God that we're in a church that works together. But we don't wanna take that for granted. So when God's word goes out, think about what is my responsibility? What should I endeavor? What is God tasking me with today? So I'm gonna pause. And as you just turn your hearts to the Lord and talk with him. Is there someone you need to be praying for? Let God speak. Is there someone that you need to be expressing and saying, for this reason, I bow my knees for this person, for this group? Is there someone you need to be ministering to? Is there a ministry you need to join? He has placed you in the church, us in the church together till all are brought together in the unity of Christ. Is there a way in which we are behaving one toward another that we need to change or I need to do more of something? Be kind one to another. Ask the Lord, what is that thing that he is tasking you to do that you must endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit? I'll go ahead and now and close in prayer, after which then we will be dismissed.
Father, we thank you that we who were at one time strangers, we were one time aliens, far from you and separated from you. You have brought us near and you have made us fellow citizens with the saints, a part of your household. Indeed, Lord, together your habitation, a holy habitation. And Father, we have a need to know what our work is as we endeavor to keep the unity that you have given us in the spirit and the bond of peace. I pray that you would speak with each and every one of us so that we may go from here endeavoring. Fill us with your spirit, Father. Thank you so much for your word that is so rich and thank you for your gift of salvation and for the inheritance you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.